John Nelson, and you're listening to the Starting Block Podcast. Guys, this is a show for complete athletic development. Our objective here is to give you the tools to win, whether you're the athlete, the parent, or the coach. Now, if you're new to the show, welcome. Appreciate you joining. Here's a little housekeeping stuff for you. Our show is different than most shows out there. We actually have multiple episodes within the show, or I guess multiple shows within the show. I think most podcasts have multiple episodes, but we have a show within the show. So the first episode you'll get from us is a bi-weekly Q&A. That's where myself and my co-host, Chris Scarborough. Good afternoon, sir. What's up? Good afternoon. Okay. There he is. All right. A little delayed there. So that is where Chris and I will take the questions you guys submit to us and tackle them. Chris, where can they submit those questions? Info at startingblockpodcast.com. Yes, you can submit them there. Guys, we will tackle anything related to performance, training, rehab, nutrition, the neuro voodoo stuff that we do. Uh, we'll also tackle some guest questions if uh, if we can. Um, as you heard in the last Q&A, uh, we passed on that because uh, there were questions that we couldn't answer. But if you got a question for one of our guests, we can attempt to answer it. Uh, we'll do our best. So um, that is our Q&A. Um, the next episode you'll get from us is our biweekly guest interview. That's uh Essentially, like every other podcast on the planet, that is where we will bring on our guests, our colleagues, um, you know, people that we work with, people that share the same core value and mission that we do, and they're going to share their stories of success, what they do with their clients, their patients, and their practices, and their gyms. And, you know, ultimately, like I always say, it's become a, a big network, um, you know, that if you don't live around where Chris and I are, these are people, you know, that we trust that you can connect with and hopefully they can help you. Um, that's what today is. And I'll bring our guest on here in just a second. The uh, final episode we've got is that Friday fire. In fact, um, you don't hear that one all that often, maybe once a quarter. We just had one last week. So if you're listening to this show still, I appreciate it. Thank you for not leaving. Um, I know that one was uh, a little out there, but, uh, I do think there's some truth and validity to it, but, that's how our show operates. And lastly, guys, we don't run ads on the show. Um, we just simply ask that you please pay your dues and just share the show. If you get value out of it, bring us somebody, help connect, help spread the message. You know, we have had some offers to do that, but we are more interested in aligning, um, you know, having alignment and vision and mission with the companies we work with. And, you know, as of right now, we're just, we're not running ads. So please just share the show and uh, do us a solid. That, uh, I think that about sums it up, and uh, yeah, that's about it, right, Chris? I think you got it all. All right, cool. All right, well, without further ado, I want to bring on my good friend, one of my healthcare advisors, Jennifer Childers. What's up, Jennifer? Hi, guys. Thanks hey, for Jen. having me. You are, we are Hi. so glad that you're with us. Um, Thanks for taking the time. I know your schedule. I know how unbelievably busy you are. So uh, thanks for making time for us. Of course. Very <laughs> happy been, to. We've been working on it for a while. Um, all right. So, guys, if you don't know uh, who Jennifer is, Jennifer is the healthcare provider that I have uh, been talking about for, gosh, I guess over a year and a half now. I mean, I think that's how long we've been doing the show at this point. Um, yeah. So this is the healthcare provider that I've mentioned multiple Hi, times. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jennifer, tell, uh, I mean, your list of credentials is so incredibly long that I'm going to butcher it. So why don't you just start with, uh, wh what you are, where you work and your, and you know, how you got, uh, what your education is. Okay. So, um, 
I'm an orthopedic physician assistant. I work at Delta Orthopedics and Sports Medicine in Collierville, Tennessee. I have been with this company for almost 12 years now. Um, but I started off, you know, went to undergrad, didn't really know what I wanted to do in life, um, but ended up, I got a degree in zoology and I, well, I got a bachelor's in that and then I got an associate's in radiology and was an x-ray tech for six years. So I did that. And while I was doing that, I realized um, I was like this, a, a piece of a puzzle. And so I provided these images for doctors to figure out what's going on. But then I would see an image and I wanted to know what was going on. I wanted to help these people. And, you know, in that role, that was the end of my job. So I knew I needed to go back to school. I knew I needed to do something else so that I could provide, you know, healthcare and help to these people that I was, I was seeing. So at that point, so I lived in Arkansas at the point and um, I was telling one of my coworkers one night, I said, hey, you know, sometimes I wish I would have just gone to nursing school, then I could go to be a nurse practitioner. And, you know, that's really what I want to do. And she asked me, she said, well, why don't you be a PA? And I said, what's a PA? So I think that's a I, lot of people's question is what yeah. is a PA? Yeah. What is it? And, you know, in Arkansas, the use of PAs was ranked 49th out of all of the states. So I had no exposure to PAs at all at that point. And she kind of summarized it. Well, I went home from work that day, got on the internet, looked it up and I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. So um, I just started working towards that. There were like a few classes I had to have to fill in the gap. Um, and I did that and applied to some schools and I ended up going in East Tennessee. So I went to LMU DCOM in Harrogate, Tennessee teeniest little town. I don't even and know where that is. And I'm from here. So it's a mile to Virginia, a mile to Kentucky. It is on the border border of West <laughs> or yeah, of East Tennessee. So, but I, I didn't know that it, it, that school was magnificent. Um, the school is magnificent. It was just, I mean, specifically built to try to bring healthcare to rural areas because it's such a rural area. And so I ended up going there. I loved it. And I really didn't know what branch of medicine I would do after that. But during the internships and during the rotations, um, I did orthopedics. I loved it. It felt like a very natural transition for me because of my background in x-ray. Um, seeing all the bones and all the you know x-rays all day, it just was a very natural transition for me. So that's what I looked for when I was about to graduate was a job in orthopedics. And, um, so I did that. And then I started here in Carterville and I think my first or second year in ortho, um, I got this opportunity, which was amazing to do a fellowship with a metabolic bone endocrinologist. Okay. And what, what is that? What does that I, even mean? So, <laughs> Metabolic bone has anything to do with the process of making and breaking down bone. Um, osteoporosis is the most common 
thing that people know about metabolic bone, but there's Paget's disease, there's osteogenesis imperfecta, um, basically anything that disrupts the cycle of building and breaking down bone. And I, I mean, it was an incredible opportunity. So I got to do that for a year. Um, and then I have certifications in the fracture liaison service. That way, one of the things that happens in orthopedics is people break their hip and then they have a spinal fracture, but no one tells them how to stop having those. So when you have a fracture liaison service, like, like I do here, um, our surgeon fixes those broken hips. And then I teach the people how not to break more. So I feel like that's beneficial. Yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> why, is that, why is that not done more often? It is. Oh, <laughs> I sometimes don't get people till they're on their fifth or sixth spinal fracture. And these people have no quality of life. They're miserable. And a lot of surgeons just put the cement in the spine and they're like, okay, see you for the next one. Let's teach those people how to not have the next one. Um, there's so many things you can do. So I, I do that. Um, and I, I mean, I think I have been doing that for almost 10 years now. Um, I get referrals for that from all over the place place. So yeah, that's what I do. I want to go back to this metabolic bone endocrinology. This is okay. very, very interesting real quick. And, uh, cause I'm going to ask a personal question. Like, sure. you know, I mean, you know, a little bit of my, my back history and I've talked about it on the show before, but that was very interesting that, that, that you brought that up. Like I had an osteoblastoma on like my L2 mm-hmm. transverse process. And from what I recall, that's very rare or I mean, yeah. it's, it's rare, not like super rare but i thought mm-hmm. it was very interesting you talked about the hormone and all that like i don't i mean i i don't even know what i'm asking like i just didn't even know you knew that that you went down that path like could hormone development or lack of it is in teenage years create something like that there's always some kind of imbalance that's gonna lead to that so it could have been a hormone imbalance it could have been a mineral imbalance. It could have been a malabsorption imbalance. Like anything that changes the metabolic rate of bone. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah, it, it's very interesting. I, I've never, I mean, I got, they made me get scanned for quite a few years afterwards and everything yeah. was good. Never had it again, but it was just very odd because it started when I was really young and it took years and years and years before it, you know, broke off. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. You were, so. how, I mean... How old were you when that happened? Um, well, you've told yeah, I was I, I was eighteen when it when eighteen or seventeen or eighteen when it broke off. But like I had had okay. issues going back to probably like sixth grade or so. Like I feel like right around sixth seventh grade is probably where it started. Um, okay, you know, and it just and it ebbed and flowed, and then and then just by my senior year of high school, so that was probably about seventeen eighteen. It got really really bad, and then just pop, it just snapped off. <laughs> so. I don't know. That just, that resonated with me. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, um, people wouldn't have known what to do with you. Like (laughs) if you were complaining about, yeah, if you were complaining (laughs) about back pain and you're a young person in general, you get kind of written off, which is really sad. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, nobody knew what to, nobody really knew how to help. They, They couldn't figure it out. Um, you know, I know. And then Sims Murphy ended up doing, doing my surgery and Dr. Alan Sills did, I mean, did a great job. Who's he's now the head of NFL medicine. Um, 
you know. So, like, he did a great job, but nevertheless, it was still just a very bizarre situation. But anyways. Yeah. Um, okay, so getting back to your story here. I didn't mean to get a sidetrack, but I tend no, to do you're, that. Yeah. Um, That's why this is a, a hobby and not a career. Um, <laughs> My brain <laughs> so, works the right. same way, John. We're good. <laughs> I know. That's why we click so well. All right, so. <laughs> You have literally, um, so you went from Arkansas to some town in Tennessee. Memphis sounds like the biggest city you ever saw. Um, <laughs> you got the opportunity to come down here. Um, how, uh, how things get started down here? Like, uh, what was the metabolic, you know, endocrinology thing, a part of what you did, or did you immediately kind of get into what you were talking about? Um, you know, the services you provide now. So I started in pure ortho sports medicine, um, and it's crazy. I mean, like when I was trying to like set myself up for what I was going to do after PA school, I was searching for orthopedics in Carterville, Tennessee. Like for some reason, like I wanted to live in Carterville. My husband's from the Memphis area and I didn't want to live in like Memphis, Memphis, wanted to be on the outskirts. Um, Smart. And <laughs> I, you know, Carville, he lived in Fayette County at the time, so Carville was kind of that in-between. And I was looking for those two things, and, I mean, almost immediately I came up with this job offer, and I was in Houston at the time, and I flew over for an interview um, and clicked with the surgeon that had the practice at the time, and she pretty much hired me on the spot. So I've been here, and it's been great. All right, so how uh, – I know you said you wanted to share the story of how we connected, and I think that's yeah. important. Um, okay. Yeah, go for okay. it. How did okay. we meet? You heard about that so, weird weird voodoo guy out in Collierville. I'm so glad I did. So <laughs> I had a patient who had these knee effusions over and over and over again. And I was draining this knee – all the time. And, you know, you only want to do that so many times. You're, it's risky every time you do it. So no matter what I did, I mean, no matter what medicine, no matter what aspiration, pulling the fluid off or putting steroid in, or she even had a knee scope somewhere in there. Um, this knee was not doing what it was supposed to do. So I worked for a while on her and with her and then one day she stopped coming in and I was like, Oh, fantastic. We're doing better. And, um, I asked her, Hey, are you okay? You doing okay? And, um, she told me, she said, yeah, I started seeing John Nelson and worked with him and my knee's not swelling anymore. I'm not, no longer in pain. And I was like, awesome who's John Nelson and what, what did he do? So she said, um, you used the ARP at the time and, you know, worked with her and did your thing, which no matter how hard I try to explain what you do, it is still hard. Um, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I love outside the box thinking, I know that not everything I do is going to fix every patient. That's not how a human body works. Um, there are so many other things besides pills, needles, 
surgery. Um, you know, there's just other ways to help people feel better, get better, help their body to function. And so I was super interested and I, not too long after her, I had another patient who was almost the same thing, like knee swelling, knee swelling, knee swelling. I was like, I'm not helping this person. Like any, everything I know to do isn't helping. So that's when I reached out to John and I said, Hey, I'm Jennifer. I heard you helped my patient. You know, what exactly do you do? What, you know, I wanted to know, can he help more people that I know that aren't getting better with Western medicine alone? So John said, it's sometimes easier to show you what I do than tell you what I do. Facts. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I think Chris would probably say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So I said, he said, you know, if you have some time, I'd love for you to come over and let me show you. So I did and went by and you guys really what John does and his knowledge of the human body and the neural pathways is really quite incredible. Um, and he kind of showed me on my own body, like he made my body work better. He made my neck not hurt. It made me very happy. Um, and so ever since then, like, you know, when I see a patient that doesn't need what I have, I have John. And <laughs> so it's very, well, it's a really great relationship to have. I appreciate the kind words. I'll, I'll send you that Venmo payment there. Um, you know, <laughs> after the show's over, pay you off for that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, you know, I think Chris, uh, Chris, I, I, if you're there, Chris, um, you know, unmute and, and chime in guys, Chris is uh, kind of traveling at the moment, which is why you hadn't heard much from him. Um, so, but I think that's one of the things we can definitely, Oh, there you are. What was that? Give me about two minutes and I, I've got two or three questions to ask. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, uh, Chris and I can both attest that what, what we do is definitely kind of difficult to explain. Um, and that's because there's, there's not a lot of us out there and, you know, you know, uh, Jennifer, but just so other people kind of listening, you know, maybe if you're new to the show, like Chris and I do similar things, but not like, you know, as you guys, most of you know, I'm trained under Dr. J. We utilize NeuroTarget, you know, um, and Chris utilizes, um, you know, Square One, which is another great system. We've had Sean on multiple times, but it's all just this neuro work where it's just identifying, you know, um, misfirings in the body and getting things realigned and ultimately addressing things from the nervous system point of view first. And then, you know, um, then the physical component, but, um, I think it's very difficult regard. And then we use things like the newbie, um, you know, and uh, if the tissues need additional help. But guys, I think where all of us in this field really benefit from something like this is I tell people all the time, like, I'm not the health. We're not the healthcare providers, guys. And like, you know that, like, we're not here to treat or diagnose. We're, we're kind of why something happens. That's why Jennifer's expertise is so incredible because we can all of us can work together to figure out how to help this patient like as you guys know whether you're a, a probably a, a newbie you know person a new fit provider neurotarget square one how many times do you have people that come in and it's like oh hey tell me what's wrong I, I i can say people do that all the time and i say the same thing i'm not going to tell you because i don't know go see jennifer so, <laughs> you know, right. so it really helps because we if we know what we're dealing with if she can I, when she identifies that we know what we're dealing with in 
accordance with any guidelines that need to come down, then it just helps make that client or patient experience a whole heck of a lot better. You said you're uh, you're back there, Chris. You got a couple questions you wanted to ask? Yeah, it well in particular, I mean, because we get problems. You know, John and I have mentioned this in the past, and that is like we'll get kids with that have shoulder pain, and they'll get an MRI, for example, and there's no injury. Okay, there's no diagnosable injury. I mean, John, how many times have we brought pictures up? Okay, first of oh, all, plenty. Every every almost every podcast we do. Mm-hmm. Jen- Jennifer's <laughs> the one that's worked with uh, quite a few of mine. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to insult every single pitcher out there for just a minute, and that's because you guys are brought up to be the wimpiest bunch of athletes I've ever seen in my. <laughs> all right, and that is that's true. Okay that that means that you're kind of taught to think that every time you feel a little ache or pain or soreness or whatever, you're supposed to shut everything down and. And, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't on a, in any particular case, but uh, I've never seen a wimpier bunch of athletes than baseball players that are purely pitchers. So I've seen numerous times, Jennifer, uh, of cases where someone will have shoulder pain, elbow pain. They'll have an MRI, you know, and they there's nothing. There's nothing to see. There's They just have pain. Um, right. And so at what point, for, I guess question number one is, at what point should this person shut down? All right. And then B, I mean, just in your experience, at what point mm-hmm. should shut down, even if there's no diagnosable injury? And then B, is, is there ever a case where, you know, like you probably ought to try to work through this, maybe work on the mechanics or something along this line versus just shutting things down because shut things down. Now you're deconditioning that much more. Right. <laughs> you're conditioning yourself to do less and less and less and less. So any suggestions there? So if they have a normal MRI, let's stop looking at the anatomy and let's look at the physiology of this body. That's what I would do. So you can have pain because a body part is injured or stress, strain, torn, you know, any kind of injury can scream at you and be painful. Well, in those parts, you know, depending on tendon versus ligament versus muscle, all that, you know, you treat all those things a little bit differently. Um, There may be a shutdown period in order to try to let it scar and heal. But if you have a normal MRI, they're looking at a picture of your body. They're not looking at your body in motion. They're looking at your body laying still on an MRI machine. We need to look at the phys- like the physiology of your movement. Um, what's wrong with your throw? What's wrong with your body mechanics in general? This is not, it doesn't always have to be anatomical. It can be physiological. You know, and then you have to look at other components. It's so if it's anatomically okay, I would say hundred percent keep working. Don't decondition right now. Keep working. Um work with someone like John and Chris who can help you actually look at what you're doing and see what's going on. Get your eyes checked. Are your eyes okay? Because that's going to send a signal completely different and not let your body function properly either. So anatomy is okay. 
keep going, try to figure out what's going on and what's the actual problem is what I would say. So I remember when we first met one of the statements I heard you say, I've never heard another healthcare provider say it other than it was either, I think it was either Dr. Cleary or somebody else, but not somebody around the area, but you made the comment right there and you said an MRI just takes a look at your body from, you know, just a still point in time. And it doesn't show what's happening when things are moving. And that is just, I think that's such a profound statement that I just don't seem to understand why more practitioners don't look at things from that side of, you know, um, that point of view. Like, right. cause it's, it's not very common, is it? Like these in motion, well, I don't know what they're called. These in motion yeah. MRI a machines. A dynamic like, MRI. Yeah. Okay, they're, yeah. they're not common at all. Uh-uh. But, but it just, it makes so much sense that like what you just said, like there's so many other things that play a role in it. Like why is a still frame, you know, how we're diagnosing and, and treating right. things. Um, one of the things that I know Chris and I have experienced a lot or we feel like we've seen an uptick in. I know that, you know, you've worked with quite a few of these people as well. There's obviously a, uh, you know, an epidemic of UCL injuries, um, but one of, which I want to touch on, but I want to okay. touch on like the pars fracture side of things first. Chris and I have talked about this a couple times on the show. And Chris, you have seen multiple kids with these, right? A bunch. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, they were diagnosed with, Anything from stress fracture to what was called stress reaction, which I don't even know mm-hmm. what stress reaction is, but um, to to uh, to disc herniation, you know, to various you know various back injuries. So mm-hmm. yes, to answer your question, John. So okay. so like, have you? And if I say something that you're not allowed to say, just you know, say I can't say that. <laughs> like, okay. Have you seen? an uptick in this and if so or if not like why do you feel like we're at least we're seeing more of it i don't know that i would say i particularly am seeing an increase in it in my practice um but as far as like the pars or the back injuries in these kids um so a pars injury is an extension injury okay how often are these kids in extension or how often are they like hunched over their phone like this so i mean you take this whole new generation of people that are forward flexed well of course their body doesn't like it when they hyper extend their back so i mean if anything i think it's a probably a technology um process that's kind of leading to this increase for the back like we are not helping ourselves with the computers and the phones and like all the kids at school have ipads in school that's how we all do our work and we are a forward flexed world right now hyperextension injuries are just going to continue to increase we no one has the proper pelvic alignment anymore no one has the proper, like, lordosis of the low back. It's, you know, in my opinion, that's probably why you guys are seeing this increase. It's, we're, our children are not, and, you know, teenagers, small kids, we're, we're not in that position. So a hyperextension is probably takes less actual degrees 
of extension to cause an injury now. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about that. Go ahead, Chris. No, I was just to say, that makes sense. Yeah, you're so used mm-hmm. to flexing that normal extension is now overextension. <laughs> yeah. you know? I mean, that's really, that's, mm-hmm. that would be my thought process. It's like that it. de-evolution concept we've, we've brought up. Like kids just, they don't develop the way they used to. Things have changed. I mean, they're not running around playing. There's no sandlot ball anymore. It's, right. you know, overstimulation. It's malnourished. It's, you know, over light stimulation. It's, uh, you know, yeah. sit down at five years old and take your Ritalin and shut up and, you know, pay attention. Like oh. it's, yes. <laughs> so yeah, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Um, what about the UCL side of stuff? Cause uh, if uh, you've met Chris, he's come up here, I think. But so like, um, you know, for those who don't know, Chris is in Birmingham. And obviously if you're in the baseball world, you know what doctor is down in Birmingham. Um, Dr. Andrews, if you don't know, but what is your, um, what's your opinion on this? I mean, this is a big deal. This UCL side. I mean, cause now you're hearing stories of kids getting this done like early, early, just to have it done already. Like what have you seen in your practice? All right. So I have a very small practice. Um, there is a big giant practice here in our Memphis area. Mm-hmm. And honestly, those kids go there because they're big giants Yeah, and they're small. So I don't see as, I don't see as many of those. I really don't um, for that reason. So I haven't gotten to see that increase there with them. Um, So I don't know if I've been seeing them, maybe I could see the trend with you guys. (laughs) Well, that, that's a that's a fair statement. <laughs> well, I think so many of the things, though, that you've already brought up, everything from, you know, from the PARS injury, but also back to, you know, at least from what I've seen, even the shoulder injuries that don't have a, a positive uh, MRI for, for some sort of an injury, labrum tear, rotator cuff tear, whatever, you know, we see a lot of pain with no injury, no diagnosable injury that I right. believe stems from posture or poor posture, if you will. Sure. You know, not just, you know, uh, everything. I mean, every slump forward, like you said, iPads, phones, postural things, I, you know, poor light environment, you know, certain lights coming through the eyes. I mean, you name it. And, the, you know, yeah. kind of the thing is all of the above are leading to this you know, injury, I'm not going to even call it an injury epidemic. It's more pain epidemic that, that, you know, I'm much older than either one of you. And it's, it, I kid you not, you know, the older, the older coaches that we have come on the show bring up the exact same things I always do. Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver, the guys that I watched growing up did not have these injuries and they threw five times as many pitches or, you know, they played, you know, five times as many games without taking a game off or or whatever. I mean, it's just like, what's the difference? <laughs> the anatomy is the same. <laughs> the right. anatomy is the stinking same. So what is it? What's the difference? So uh, anyway, that's just it's always one of those things that baffles me. Why are they hurting? And the only thing I can come up with is posture. Mm-hmm. Body mechanics all day long. And I mean, then you get down to like the nutrition that those guys ate versus what we're fed today. 
And I mean, there's so many little things that go into that, that increase the likelihood of injuries to younger athletes now than, than then. How do you address the nutrition side of stuff in your practice with people? Um, I have a, a variety of variety of ways I do that. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of patients that are very receptive to looking at the foods that they are eating and seeing what those are contributing to their current situation. So um, I see a lot of knee arthritis, okay? Well, the way that body mechanics work is one pound to us is four pounds of pressure to your knee. So I often tell people with knee arthritis, if they are overweight, you know, I just tell them, one of the things you need to keep in mind is if your knee pain is increasing, you need to step on the scale and see, did you gain five pounds in the last month? Because if you did, your knee thinks you gained 20. So that is going to make your knee hurt more. So we need to pay attention to that. Um, I usually tell them, I don't have your specific way to tell you how to lose weight or how to, you know, monitor this for your own personal reasons, because I get you for a moment. And so you need to look at your lifestyle. You need to see what would work for you um, on watching your weight. And I tell them, you know, you've got to start with tracking your food, see what's going on there. Um, because if you're lying to yourself about how many Cheetos you just ate, it starts there. So, you know, I, I do do a lot of guidance there for knee arthritis specifically. And then I have some patients who, um, you know, are like the complete opposite that come in and they're like, I don't want any of your medicine. I want to know what supplements I can take, what foods I can eat, what foods I can avoid. And I mean, I'm all about that. So I'm like, oh, yes, let's do this. Um, you know, so it's very individualized on how I approach nutrition with each patient because each patient has a different background, a different, I don't know, um, food and nutrition thought process in their brain already. So you have to figure out how to work with that specific person at that specific moment to help them. Do you dig into, um, I guess, inflammatory responses with food, you know, in, in particular as it relates to the joints? Like, how so? I mean, do you, do you just mm -hmm. hate on gluten? <laughs> I, I don't hate on gluten. Um, you know, again, I always think everyone's so individualized, and I tell them a lot of times you can do food sensitivity tests to see what foods they're sensitive to. Um, I tell them there's diets out there like the autoimmune protocol that – kind of take all of the most common inflammatory foods out and then you reintroduce them one at a time to see, okay, I was doing good, but then I started eating, you know, nightshades and nightshades, terrible things for me, you know? So I just try to make them aware of how to figure out what inflames them because what inflames you is not going to inflame me. Um, you may have a leakier gut than I do. You may you know, there's so many factors in that. So 
I try to teach them how to start the process. But, you know, I do ortho, so I try to tell them there's dietitians out here, but this is how you would start. Start mm-hmm. with these things and see what works for your body. Mm-hmm. So. And, and I think I think people are craving that type of direction because there's a huge just fear component to everything now. Like you brought up the nightshades, and like I think we talked about this with Abby, Chris, uh, the Denver Nuggets nutritionist, in the last episode of like people are afraid to do anything because you hear eggs are bad, and then you hear oatmeal is bad, and then oh you hear fruit goodness. is bad, and it's like nobody just no, nobody knows where to start anymore. So then you're just eating your bowl of ice, right? Like, oh, <laughs> this is what I get. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, very individualized. I mean, it just is back to the, uh, back to the kind of the, the knee and the nutrition. Um, just a quick, short question. Like obviously we work with a lot of young athletes as well. Ozzy slaughters is a pretty common thing that we would see. Yeah. Talk about that just for a minute. Like kind of what's your experience on that? And do you think nutrition plays a role in that too, especially with these kids? And they eat their McDonald's after practice and, and which I'm not hating on. My kids do eat McDonald's stuff. So, I mean, they they kind of love it, just to be honest. But um, so, I mean, it definitely could because it happens while they're growing, and there's so many factors to growth, even in small children. Um, you know, you have a growth spurt. Your tendons still really tight. It's pulling on that. Um, on the growth plate. So nutrition wise, if you're not nourishing the tendons that are attached to these growth plates and they're not able to grow as your bones grow, then sure. I mean, nutrition kind of affects everything we do. Mm-hmm. So as we've addressed some of the, some, I guess, I don't like I, the de-evolutionary state of things to a degree. I mean, in relation mm-hmm. to athletes and stuff, how do you feel training in performance should be changing to meet the needs of people? So we're going to say that's going to start at home, right? Like in young, in the young people sector of this, um, how, how often are you letting them just sit on their iPhone or their iPad at home? Um, because they can go to practice. They can practice at home. They can lift weights. They can do all that later. But, you know, are you feeding them McDonald's like I do? Um, are you? I, I should be ashamed to say that, but it's okay. Um are you doing that? Are you letting them have unlimited screen time where they're just flooded with blue light constantly? Um, you know, how are they being helped at home to achieve optimal performance? You know, if you're wanting your kids and your kids have the drive to do it, because some of these kids that you guys see or that are out here, I mean, they have the drive, they want it, but like, are they given all the tools all the time? to be successful um, and to have, you know, that optimal performance. Are they given that at home too? Are these parents dedicated to taking away those phones at nighttime or taking away the screen time or, you know, 
are their kids hunched over in a C shape trying to do their homework? Like, you know, all those little things add up where you have to think of the overall picture in order to actually have optimal performance. So, Chris, I think it will be fascinating to see how, you know, things along the lines like, you know, that, that say Jack Cruz was talking about things like how, how does light environment, I think we'll know more about light environment, screen time, uh, you know, poor light environment, especially at night. Uh, you know, well, I think we'll find out more and more about those types of things over time because, you know, as of right now, let's face it, it's still a, it's still kind of a new science in that. Yeah. It's just now becoming popular to study that type thing. And so it'll be very fascinating to see how light environment affects orthopedics or performance output, um, injuries, that type thing. It's just so new, you know? And, uh, it's, uh, I'm fascinated by it. And yet I also know that (laughs) we don't know anything. So, right. (laughs) I agree. I find it very interesting. I don't know enough about it to for any reasons, but I, um, I do, I think it's all going to play a big role and I think it plays a role now and we just don't know what to do with it or do about it. Right. Right. And and I think that's a good segment or a segment. It is a good segment, but I think it's a good segue (laughs) kind of into the, to the next thing and and maybe we'll wrap up, you know, Uh on this topic here in a second, but you know, Chris, I, I wanted you to, I want you to share with Jennifer kind of your, your experience as a PT, you know, how you kind of transitioned from that, you know, into what we do back into it and then back out. But then how that also relates to what we just talked about, like the fact that there is all of this new research and things coming out and we don't really know what to do with it just yet. But when healthcare is kind of regulated by insurance, like how are we able to really help these people the right way? Right. I don't know, does that make any sense, Chris? It does. Yeah. It, it is kind of an interesting story um, in that, well, first of all, you got to remember, I'm referring to the clinics I worked in. I'm not referring to anybody else's. So uh, they were very, uh, you know, very cookie cutter protocol based. You come up with this injury, this is what you do type system. And I understand mm-hmm. why, because we do this for this diagnosis, we get paid. You know, I get it. All right. That's I mean, it is a business. You have to do that type thing. I understand that said. I also found it very boring. <laughs> you know, it's it's like, OK, I'm doing the same old thing with the same old person, the same old people, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really matter if I get them well or not. It just matters if we do what the protocol says we can do. All right. That's mm-hmm. it. That's really what matters. Um, so. You know. I think the problem then came into the motivation for even doing therapy in so many cases became down came down to not what not what was going to help the person as opposed to what's going to get us paid. All right, whether the person gets well or not, there is no incentive to get that person well. You know, if they happen to get better, great, you know, that's that's like a bonus, but, but you had to go through the right steps with the right diagnosis. 
So, of course, that frustrates me because, you know, I was like, eh, you know, if, if I keep doing X, Y, and Z and this person's done X, Y, and Z for six weeks and has got no improvement, why do I keep doing X, Y, and Z? Is that not the definition of insanity, you know? Um, so I guess that, uh, you know, that's what kind of sparked me to go on to something along the line of, you know, as John mentioned earlier, and I was listening, even though you couldn't hear me, uh, <laughs> onto square one and onto, uh, uh, activation, muscle activation, that type thing. I've learned bits and pieces from, uh, from Dr. J and from John, you know, doing, uh, uh, neuro targeting, but, um, but I, I'm by no means a specialist in that in that area. But it's understanding you know, understand what what is the how can we get the brain to to reduce the threat? How can we reduce the threat? So now it feels comfortable. You know, the brain feels comfortable allowing the body to move in certain situations. And you know, and, and also with the ARP, by the way, and newbie. So I want to give them shout we shout outs as there, well. Chris. But <laughs> we get much better outcomes, Hello, much better Chris. outcomes. Yeah. And honestly, uh, Jennifer, at a fraction of the oh, cost. He's on a good roll. What, he was, what, yeah, uh, he was uh, almost there. The clinic would have <laughs> yeah. charged back there. in the day when I used um, to work in that I, arena. I, I, so, I, so that was sort of my motivation. Uh, I don't know if you've had any experience with anything along that line. But, uh, that's sort um, of, I don't know, John, yes, is that sort of what you were asking? Was sort of that story? Like, there truly cannot just be one way to fix things. There, there just isn't. There wouldn't be, that just doesn't exist. That's why I said earlier when I was so excited to find you and have other options to help people. Um, and I will say, I'm very, you know, we have physical therapy at Delta Orthopedics and my girls are good and they, you know, they do have a general stop recovery like protocols that they do, but they're never afraid to think outside of the box. They're they'll be like, "This isn't working for this person. Regroup. Let's try this or let's try that." Um, and I love the fact that if they see a patient not progressing, literally just walk around the building to me and say, "Hey, something's up with this patient." I don't know. I'm not getting them there. Something's happening. Can you recheck them? Can you recommend something? And, you know, I don't, we're just not, I don't do cookie cutter. And it's just, so it is very convenient for us to have them here. Them come over and say, and they do. I mean, they come over at least every other day and say, hey, can you show me the background of this patient? Maybe I can help them better if I know more about something. Can you help me? Um, or this patient, this patient isn't showing up. So the reason they're not getting better is they're not coming. Uh, you know, it's very good to have that more personalized relationship over there that it doesn't sound like he was getting where he was. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I remember him sharing a story of like he knew exactly what was wrong with the person and he couldn't do it because insurance wouldn't let him. And the, you know, the boss was like, nope, you can't do that with the bicep tendon. So, nope. And yeah. I think it was after that day he left, I think. But I don't want to speak for you, Chris. But um, <laughs> we'll, we'll wrap it up here. I think what I, what I want to say uh, to everybody is, you know, 
we're pretty vocal and pretty uh, about our stances on stuff on, on the show, and I think that's probably part of the reason why we have the audience that we have, and I think a lot of us you know, see things the same way. And I, I think the majority of, of everybody, you know, understands the understands the incredible value and importance of having a health care provider a so you can abide by the law but also so you can you know so you can work together with um, with somebody in your community and i think what i want to say guys is like i searched for a long time to try to to find jennifer like real talk jennifer this is my moment you know to to you know thank you for everything you've done for us like we searched for a really long time, guys. I mean, my wife and I had multiple conversations of like, are we even going to continue this? Because we we were struggling to find somebody. And so I just want to say, like, there are there are healthcare providers out there like Jennifer that think outside the box, that understand and value some of the things that you do as well, and is willing to to look at things from a outside of the box, you know, frame of reference, right? Like there's a time and place for medicine. Absolutely. You know, but the body's also got to heal and there's other things that need to be addressed as well. And so Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for everything you have done for us and all of the um, cases we've worked on together and the ones we will likely work on in the future and tell everybody else like guys, keep, keep looking. If you haven't found somebody to work, there's somebody out there. I promise you will find somebody. So Thank, Thank you for guys. everything, Jennifer. We appreciate you, you so much. Um, if anybody has a question for you, where could they shoot you an email? Will that be will that be work? Will yep. that work for you? Mm-hmm. Well, yep. What's that it's email? J Childers, so C H I L D E R S at Delta Orthosports.com. Cool, cool. All right. Well, guys, that is the show. If you got value of it, share the show. Appreciate you guys. 